I'm Christopher Granger, and I'm here with my good friend Renato Lopez. We're cardiologists at Duke University, and we're in Barcelona coming to you live from the European Society of Cardiology with some very exciting uh, results of a, of a trial that we conducted, a cluster randomized um, intervention trial. And the background for this is that atrial fibrillation we know is very common, 34 million people around the world that it's a common cause of stroke, one of five strokes caused by atrial fibrillation. We have very effective treatments to prevent stroke. One of the most effective strategies in all of medicine, about a two-thirds reduction in stroke with oral anticoagulation. And yet, we know there's a major gap in the applying the guidelines in evidence-based medicine. So even in high-income countries, only about half of patients with atrial fibrillation and risk factors for stroke are being treated with anticoagulants. And Renato, it's even more of an issue in middle-income countries. Correct, Chris. That's absolutely right. Um, and, and to try to address this gap, uh, we know that there are a lot of observational studies showing that gap. And we try to, how can we understand the real reasons for people not being on, a, on an anticoagulant and, and maybe come up with an intervention that can help close this gap? And that's why this was the rationale for us to do a cluster randomized trial, which was the IMPACT trial, which basically we did um, 48 clusters in five countries. So we went to Brazil, Argentina, India, China, and Romania. And in these five countries, basically we tested a package of intervention, which was multifaceted and multi-level intervention on education for both providers and for patients. And with carefully collecting reasons for why patients were not taking uh, an appropriate drug. So basically there were two groups, the intervention package, which was this intervention of educational package, and the standard of care. And the main outcome was, what was the impact of this package of intervention uh, in the use or in the change of oral anticoagulation therapy at one year from baseline? And the other important part of this, which I think now we know this is how you can impact guidelines. Correct. Is the other part of it was uh, audit or measurement and feedback. Correct. And that's exactly what the current VSC guidelines uh, reinforce. Uh, and that was the idea, to a very robust scientific way, through a cluster randomized uh, study, to try to show that those interventions can work. And not only we look at the primary endpoint, but we also Chris, look at secondary endpoints, which were clinical endpoints. Again, the trial was not power for that, but we did look at clinical endpoints such as stroke, death, myocardial infarction, and so forth. Right. And, the, and so the, um, the, the 2,300 patients were enrolled in these 48 centers. The baseline anticoagulant use was actually better than we expected. And I think that's because when we go to centers and we say, we've got this exciting project to improve care, you're going to be randomized to controller intervention. We tend to get centers who already are focused on this. Okay. And then we have patients provide consent that selects out an even better treated population. So we ended up with a population that had about 65% anticoagulant use at baseline. And then over this year period, we're in the intervention group, we had, uh, in both groups, we collected information on anticoagulant use and outcomes at six months and one year. And then in the intervention group, we had one, three, and nine months in addition to that, contacts with the patients, 
the national coordinating centers like your center in Brazil every month would contact these sites and review the list of their patients to review case by case opportunities to get patients on anticoagulants. And what we saw over a year was in fact very exciting. We saw that in the uh, control sites there was a slight 3% improvement in the proportion of patients treated with anticoagulants and in the intervention group there was a 12% increase. So the 9% delta in the increase in anticoagulation highly statistically significant and then the clinical outcomes were improved as well. Yeah, Chris, I think that's, um, that's exactly right. So we were very happy to see that the intervention worked for the primary endpoint, but surprisingly, we were able to see that that intervention also was able to reduce stroke, which is our primary goal in atrial fibrillation uh, patients, by 52%. Again, this was a secondary endpoint, was a nominal p-value, but nonetheless, um, is what we would expect when you have an intervention that led to more pa patients using appropriately an anticoagulation therapy. The other thing we used, because we were looking at the change over uh, baseline to one year, we also looked at persistence. Uh, and, and we saw this fairly, again, remarkable finding that, that even in the control sites, patients who started on an anticoagulant, 94% of those patients were still on the anticoagulant in one year. I think that says these are really good sites who are already doing a good job. It made it, in a, in a way, even a higher bar Correct. to show an additional improvement. That's right. Uh, and the second point, Chris, that I would add is that of the patients who are not an anticoagulant at the beginning of the trial, we were able to get 50% of them to get on an anticoagulant by 12 months. So, Renato, I think it's, you know, of course, we're, we're, we're involved in the trial. We're enthusiastic about it. But I think it's fair to say that this could have profound impact on world health. If one could take this type of intervention and get half of patients who were not treated, treated with an anticoagulant. So 34 million people with AFib, only about a third of them worldwide are treated. So we're talking about 20 million people. If we got 10 million people on an anticoagulant who have atrial fibrillation, there would be hundreds of thousands of strokes prevented each year. So it's really important, this type of work. And, um, you know, I think the, the summary um, of the project is that it is possible to make an impact on this. There was a question about that. Correct. Can we even narrow this gap? We can narrow the gap. It's no longer okay to say 50% is the best we can do. We can do better. And, and, and we know that that the way to do better is a multifaceted education, audit, and feedback mechanism. And, uh, and then we know that that can impact both on, on process and improve outcomes for these patients. And let me ask you one other important question, I think, and that is, I th I'm sure people wonder this, like how can they take these results and apply them to their own practice? And are there particular clinical issues that are important? And talk a little bit about the issue that we focus a lot on, use of aspirin instead of anticoagulants? Yeah, Chris, that's a great question because in our subgroup that we look at, we actually did not find almost no interactions except for aspirin use. And we know that one of the major problems with patients with atrial fibrillation is the use of aspirin. Because a lot of people still think that aspirin is efficient and safe. And I think now, now we have now pretty compelling data showing that uh, it's definitely not safe. It's one of the major predictors of bleeding, especially intracranial bleeding. Um, and also is not that effective. And, and we found that the, our intervention, as you well described, had an even greater magnitude effect in patients on aspirin. So in other words, 
about 80% of the patients who are not on an anticoagulant at baseline who were on aspirin. So therefore, there's a lot of space to act. There's a lot of uh, room to act in those patients and, and educate these patients, educate the physicians, bring them these patients to an anticoagulant, stop aspirin, and this was demonstrated with a greater treatment effect of our intervention in the aspirin use at baseline compared to patients who are not, never using aspirin. And finally, Renato, maybe we can tie this into the guidelines because we were very fortunate to have Paulus Kirchhoff, who is responsible for leading the European guidelines, which I think are the, both the most recent and a very excellent set of guidelines around atrial fibrillation care. And uh, Paulus um, and his team uh, made that point that aspirin, use of aspirin for prevention of stroke and atrial fibrillation is a class 3A recommendation. In other words, it should not be done because of harm. And there's no single more important message to avoid aspirin and use anticoagulation instead for stroke prevention for patients who have CHADS-VASC2 and, um, and, and atrial fibrillation. And then Paulus also made the point that, that our study strongly reinforces the guideline recommendation that there be systems of care, that when, as, as providers and as health systems, we need to measure what we're doing and put in interdisciplinary approaches to make sure we're applying the evidence more systematically and consistently to improve care. Correct. And my last point, Chris, would be that, as you pointed out, we selected five middle-income countries, but the sites were very good sites. Uh, they were highly selected sites in terms of quality. So that means that even in those sites, we showed important uh, positive results. So that means that when you go globally, as, as you mentioned, the impact of this type of intervention might be even greater. And, and you know, for, I suppose very much finally, we also will develop a, a website. We're in the process of developing a website because we want everyone to have available what we think from our study are the most promising interventions and recommendations, almost point-by-point -point recommendations on how one might take what we've learned and apply it to one's own practice. Correct. So it's been nice to talk, um, Renato, about this uh, that we're obviously enthusiastic about as being um, a, an opportunity to really improve care, and we thank you for your attention.